automatic registration will not diversify jury pools. People that have to work still have to work. All you're going to get is Karen and state benefit recipients. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130 and 103.5 FM. John Justice, producer Robbie. Proposed legislation to automatically register all eligible voters would likely boost turnout at the ballot box. But some believe that expanding Minnesota's voter rolls could also bring greater diversity to jury pools that have increasingly lacked people of color. Joining us now, very pleased to welcome to the show, as he does every Tuesday, State Representative Walter Hudson. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? I'm de- I'm hanging in there, buddy. Waiting for Snowmageddon to strike. Yeah, gotta love it. I got myself a, a brand new man-sized snowblower that I'm eager to try out. Nice. So I'm, I'm probably the one person who's welcoming it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. We'll see how. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how. Uh, we'll see how it all uh, plays out over the course of the next few days. Uh, I got a number of things that I want to ask you about this morning, but let's start here. Uh, I shared this with you yesterday. Had the talk back just a moment ago. Advocates are hoping automatic voter registration diversifies jury pools across Minnesota. I, this seems like just an attempt to justify something that deserves a lot more ser- uh, serious uh, debate, and it probably won't get. But um, share uh, share your thoughts on this. Well, I mean, look, that's what they're go-to for everything, right? Like, that's the litmus test for whether or not it's a good idea. Or Seemingly, you, you can plausibly link it to somehow affecting equity or benefiting people of color or indigenous people or whatever um, marginalized victim group you can conjure. And it's, it's a tired old yarn. Uh, and whether or not that policy is going to have that effect is almost beside the point because why is that the effect that's at the center of our policy? Yeah. Um, at this point in time, I mean, like all these bills moving through, I kind of feel like this is a foregone conclusion. Where where does the automatic voter registration, you know, where is it in sort of the, the line of, uh, of, of proposed legislation moving through? Well, it's, it's in their major elections bill. I believe it's House File 3. Um, which has all kinds of goodies in it, of which that is not even the most egregious. I mean, they've got pre-registration of, I believe it's 15 or 16-year-olds. So, you know, you turn 16 and you get, quote-unquote, pre-registered to vote. And when, when you turn 18, you will automatically be registered. And then there's a provision in there where you can sign up to have your mail ballots sent to you in perpetuity. Now, I've been living in the same house for almost a decade, and I still get mail from the people who lived there before me 10 years later. Um, so, you know, you, you can see that this is probably going to be a problem. The, the uh, nexus of all of these loosey goosey election policies. And of course, that's the point. They want it to be raining ballots. They want it to be completely unaccountable, even more so than it already is. You know, as we talked about before, we don't have provisional ballots in this state, plus early voting, which basically is a license for fraud. Um, and then they say, well, you know, there's no evidence. Well, yeah, because you're not looking at see no evil, hear no evil. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- this is this is going to happen just like everything else they propose because they're in charge. And um, we, we need to learn how to play the game by their rules and do it better than them if we ever hope to stop them. Otherwise, this is most certainly 
going to be a colder California. We had a talk back a moment ago, just once again, expressing frustration of, you know, moving through all of these bills and what the DFL is doing. You really don't have any other choice but to to move. We talked about this quite extensively when you joined me in studio uh, last week. And again, the sort of don't lose all hope attitude, especially when you consider how hard it is that they have to work. The DFL does in order to win the election and the and the last uh, the last election. Although I want to bring into the to the mix, you know, with another question here, but I'll bring this in. I mentioned this a moment ago. Uh, the um, you had Jim Carlson, Senator Jim Carlson, introducing this bill to eliminate the marijuana party as a major party status in 2024, changing the threshold from 5% to uh, 10%, which would essentially eliminate that party. It seems as if they're doing everything they can to get any opposition whatsoever out of the way. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, and what that bill in particular really underscores is the bad faith with which all of their election reforms is taking place. They claim that they're interested in giving people a voice, that they're interested in honoring people's choices, and they're interested in democracy and the, and the people having their business done. But very clearly, the object, the goal of all of their policies is to keep them in power and to eliminate the capacity for any opposition to rise up against them. It's a very fundamentally anti-democratic process and anti-democratic motive. How has the climate been? I mean, it's been a week since we've talked, but I'm just wondering, have dynamics changed at all uh, at the uh, at the state capitol? Or are things just continuing at the pace that they have been continuing since the start of this legislative session? Well, you know, the hand of God might be intervening with Snowmageddon <laughs> as you start off talking about. Um, that, that might be the one thing that can slow things down. We're anticipating that there may, in fact, be an announcement today um, that people are going to be going home early and that the, the house is going to be closed for a large chunk of the remainder of the week as a result of the weather. And really, that's the only thing slowing them down. And um, if that does happen, you can bet they'll be doubling their efforts next week to try to, quote, unquote, catch up on the time lost because, you know, going at three times the pace of the previous legislative record just isn't fast enough for the BFL. We know the um, the story here, the Minnesota House did vote to ban uh, the LGBTQ youth conversion therapy passed this bill yesterday. Bipartisan support that bans the so-called conversion therapy for LGBTQ youth, vulnerable adults. Uh, the DFL-led chamber voted 81 to 47 to prohibit mental health professionals from providing therapy aimed at, ch- at changing a person's sexual orientation and gender identity. I know that there is... um. There was concern and a little bit of talk of the potential that this could stifle free speech and conversations between young people and their faith leaders. I'm curious to get your thoughts on uh, this uh, this bill that passed the House. Well, it's it's certainly stifling free speech. I mean, the thing it explicitly carves out so-called gender affirming care as being exempt from this. So, in other words, they're very intentionally creating a one way street where your son can seek counseling to affirm his fantasy that he's a girl, but he cannot seek counseling to affirm the truth that he's a boy. That's the effect of this bill. Um, and the, the one saving grace, I mean, you use the example of talking to your clergy. Well, as long as your clergy is not a mental health professional, mm-hmm. as defined in statute, because I, I did look through and read this thing, it applies to mental health professionals engaged in mental health services. So as it's written, it doesn't, 
it, it shouldn't be interpreted. I mean, who knows? They can do whatever they want, I guess. They're in total power, and the judges are all lefties, so I guess they can interpret it however they want. But the way it's written, it should only apply to mental health professionals. It shouldn't apply to you as a parent. It shouldn't apply to a clergy member or you know, some guy on the street. Um, it, it's narrowly tailored towards the mental health profession. Yeah, it'll be interesting to uh, to see if this kicks open the door beyond that. I have a piece here that I'm going to share some points from um, from the Federalist. Chad Felix Green um, is the author of Surviving Gender, My Journey Through Gender Dysphoria um, and wrote about about the banning of conversion therapy and what it could be concerns of free speech and what it could potentially lead to uh, down the road as as it relates to just simple conversations. If a child goes and speaks with an individual, say inside of a school or a counselor, and I know this bill doesn't specifically say that it's more tailored towards professionals, but you know, if there has to be an automatic sort of no answer of, you know, addressing that child or pointing them in a certain way. And that's where my concern comes in. Um, I know the specificity of it, but I'm worried about the precedent being set and if that can be expanded on down the line. Oh, it absolutely can be. And you better believe this is step one on a, on a multi-step agenda to basically make it illegal across the board to say the truth, to say what is real, to affirm reality. Yeah. That, that is what they are at war with. There's no doubt about it. And that's why, in my view, you don't give them this inch because they will take that mile. Hey, is the uh, natural gas ban bill getting a hearing this week? Do you know? Uh, that I have not heard, but good Lord. Golly, <laughs> Miss Molly. Uh, didn't we already pass that? Wasn't that part of the blackout bill? Like, <sighs> this is what they're doing. It's it's crazy to me. It's like they 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 enjoy it so much that they got to pass the same bills twice. Yeah, no, this... I mean, that really does. That really does seem like that's what they're doing. Now, the one that I have here, this came out of this came from last week. Apparently, it's supposed to begin. This is House File Seven Seven Two. It would allow the Department of Labor and Industry to change the state building codes in a way that allows them to reduce greenhouse gas emissions of new buildings and of existing buildings undergoing additions, alterations, and changes of use. And so, again, this would give them the ability to get rid of the uh the natural gas in in what is laid out in this particular uh, house file yeah you would think that you know carbon free by 2040 not to include natural gas not to include nuclear not to include hydro you think that would be enough and they would just allow that to take its course but no they got to keep keep hammering keep hammering because that nail isn't all the way through the plank yet well walter hudson thank you for the time this morning um have fun uh, navigating snowmageddon and hopefully we'll talk to you again next week my friend all right, sounds good. Thanks.